welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary, the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. There are two Christs. There's a false Christ and there's a true Christ. There are many false Christs, but there is only one true Christ. Amen? And this verse tells us of the two Christs in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. See if you can spot them. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Of course, it's talking about the beast. But the one that is behind the beast is the false Christ. It says that all that are on the earth are going to worship the false Christ. It behooves us to know who the true Christ is so we will not be deceived by the false Christ. So who is the true Christ? We read about him in the last part of verse 8 whose names have not been written, now here he is, in the book of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Who is the true Christ? The true Christ is the crucified one. The false Christ purports to have been crucified, but not really, wasn't really crucified. There is a crucifixion in our future. Think about that. There is a crucifixion in our future. The second coming will not come until the crucifixion of Christ happens again. In the person of his saints who have opened up his, their hearts to his agape love, which led him to die for the sins of the whole world. And in the last days, there will be a small little group of remnant people who will perceive that love and appreciate it so much that they will be crucified with him. They will walk with him in that kind of life. And when the world witnesses that, who worship the false Christ, they'll only be able to take so much of it, and then they will pronounce a death decree on them on the pretense that they worship on God's seventh-day Sabbath, which is the fourth commandment, which is the seal of God's love. And then they will seek to crucify Christ in the person of his saints. There's a crucifixion of Christ to take place soon on this earth. That is the crisis, the decision point that people will be called upon to make. This morning, Jesus comes to you as a lover and not as an accuser. Aren't you so thankful for that? Jesus comes to you as a lover of your soul. He doesn't come to accuse you as a prosecutor does. 
And so it behooves us to study the, the meaning of his love, the meaning of the cross, what kind of a death that he went through. The true Christ is the Christ of the cross. The false Christ is the one of Babylon that we've just read about here, that the whole worship world is going to worship uh, his front organization. Uh, but really, the one that's behind it is Satan himself, who will be the false Christ. And he has many false Christs out there going around and trying to get people's attention. The Christ of Babylon is the one that has really spurned the cross. The true Christ did not spurn the cross. And he went all of the way for you and for me and for our sins. Now, the false Christ has met some misfortunes down through the centuries. And did you know that the false Christ existed even before Jesus died on his cross in A.D. 31? The pagan gods of old and ancient Babylon had a false Christ, and they called him Tammu. And he's referred to in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8 and verse 14. He was the son, sometimes the husband, of the goddess Semiramis, the Babylonian pantheon of three, a trinity of paganism. And, uh, but he went through a cycle of death and resurrection. And whenever he died in their mythology, why, he was mourned, greatly mourned. And that's what Ezekiel mentions here in chapter 8 and verse 14. It says, Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammu. So he has endured, the false Christ, some temporary discomforts, uh, but his place in the pantheon, in the trinity of the pagan gods, really wasn't affected at all because in their belief system, he came back to life and uh, was right back in the Trinity. Now, the question is asked, uh, that we need to ask this morning is, how could Jesus experience the second death and yet be resurrected and restored his place in the Godhead? Isn't that a fair question to ask? How could Jesus go to the second death, go to literally go to hell, and then be restored through the resurrection to his position as God. Because isn't that what happened to Tammu of old? Isn't he just reduplicating that old pagan mythology? It's a good question to ask. You know, giving up your physical life for three days, uh, being crucified on Friday, being resurrected on Sunday, having a three-day vacation, that's not such a bad thing, is it? If you know that you're going to survive it, and you'll be restored right back to the place uh, that you left when you died on Friday. That's not such a bad thing. And I think that many of us have had in our minds, I know I have, that, uh, you know, really, Jesus, <laughs> did he really die on the cross? I mean, after all, well, I can halfway understand that he died as a human being, but he, did he really die as God? Did he, didn't he really hold something back? And, and if he did hold something back, then why, I ought to be able to hold something back too because he didn't make the ultimate sacrifice. And so what is the idol of your life that you would like to hold back? I think that sometimes we base our understanding, our misconceptions of the cross and the kind of death that 
Jesus went through as being an excuse for us to hold something in reserve just like he held something in reserve. Now, maybe I'm off on that, and I'm willing to stand corrected on it, but I hope that maybe we are addressing something this morning that we need to really consider as the science and study of the cross. You know, it is the Roman Catholic view, and by the way, Roman Catholicism did nothing but absorb paganism and Christianize it, correct? And uh, the full establishment of that was in 538 A.D., the absorption of paganism. Well, it absorbed the Christ of paganism. And Catholicism teaches that Jesus was the Son of Man who died on the cross, but the Son of God did not die on the cross. So I ask you the question, have you ever thought that it was just the Son of Man that died on the cross and not the Son of God? By the way, I went uh, online last night and looked at several Protestant groups who have information out there on the web in which they discuss uh, the Son of God dying on the cross, and when you really read it very carefully, they say, oh yes, the Son of God died on the cross, but really his soul didn't die. Because when he died on the cross, his soul went to hell, and he preached to all those prisoners that were down there in hell, and he had a good evangelistic meeting. So there's no way that if one believes in the immortality of the soul that they can have any kind of an appreciation for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, correct? No way. There is no agape there that appeals to the heart for it to appreciate. And so most uh, Protestants have also absorbed this teaching that when Jesus died on the cross, the Son of Man died, but his soul didn't die. And certainly the Son of God didn't die because you can't kill God. You can't kill God. Well, Sister White said the reason this is so serious is because we need to be clear on what Jesus paid when he died on the cross. And a misconception of this is going to lead us disastrously in the wrong direction. And here is a statement that she makes to this effect in Volume 4 of Testimonies for the Church, page 625. A true sense of the sacrifice and intercession of the dear Savior will break the heart that has become hardened in sin. And love, thankfulness, and humility will come into the soul. The surrender of the heart to Jesus subdues the rebel into a penitent, and then the language of the obedient soul is, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. This is the true religion of the Bible. Everything short of this is a deception. The last message that God has commissioned us as Seventh-day Adventists to proclaim to the world is a true understanding of Jesus' death upon the cross because it will evoke love in the heart and humility and thankfulness, she says. You know, I read an interesting uh, statement this morning from an old review of 1934, and the editor was the name F.M. Wilcox, and he was 
quoting a long speech that was delivered by a Dr. Brown to the Sunday School Times audience in which he said that the devil took a new line of attack regarding the Christian churches in 1888. Now, this is a non-Adventist speaking. A new line of attack upon the churches, and that is to inject egocentrism into the church. And someone asks, well, what is egocentrism? And basically, it's an extremely subtle, it's all about me. That is the complete opposite of the principle of the cross. Amen? If you desire to have the true discernment that only the Holy Spirit can impart, if you will fix this principle in your heart that the true religion, the only religion that leads to the true Christ and the, and, and the true cross is the crucifixion of self and not the injection of self into worship, then you will have discernment. You will have discernment. So let's get back to this question. Did the Son of Man die or did the Son of God die? Or did they both die? Or neither one of them died? According to some, neither one of them died. According to some Protestants, because the Son of Man's soul survived and went to hell. I would say that that's Roman Catholic teaching, wouldn't you? That's in a false Christ. That's an abominable teaching of, of Babylon. Well, I'm going to read you some words from someone who, a well-recognized theologian, said this, Christ had to be more than a man or an angel in order to make atonement for sin, and so deity suffered and sank at Calvary, and yet deity did not die because God cannot die. I'll give you another example from one who believed himself to be the connecting link between the 1888 message and the 20th century Adventist church, preached this sermon in the Tacoma Park, Washington, uh, Washington D.C. church in 1931. He said, Christ did not die as the Son of God, and I don't appreciate you leaving me with a Christ, without a Christ, for three days and nights. Remember, the Son of God did not die, but only the Son of Man. That's Catholicism. That's Catholicism. Dear friends, the great central truth of the Bible and of, Re of the book of Revelation, of all of Revelation, is the death of the Son of God. That's the great central truth. Around that solemn, glorious fact is clustered the whole Bible and all of divine revelation. If you take away the death of the Son of God for sinners, then the whole Bible crumbles and our hope is perished for all eternity. A, ho a human atonement is no atonement. Could the death of a good man, let's say a sinless man, a perfect man, would that death be powerful enough to save sinners? No. Could the death of an angel save us? It was Jesus alone through whom God our Father created all things and all angels and all humanity. 
He, as the Son of God, must die, must thus give his life anew to dying men. This he could do only by dying in our stead and dying for us. We affirm that Jesus died as the Son of Man and as the Son of God. Now, let's develop that for a moment. Ellen White had no problem in speaking of the death of the Son of God. In her book, Desire of Ages, 781, she says, The soldiers told it all. Just think as they had seen it. Just as they had seen it. They had not had time to think or speak anything but the truth. With painful utterance, they said, It was the Son of God who was crucified. We have heard an angel proclaiming him as the majesty of heaven, the king of glory. Desire of Ages, page 781. She has no problem affirming that the Son of God was crucified. Ellen White, again, in early writings, page Our Testimonies, Volume 2, 201, says the death of God's beloved Son on the cross shows the immutability of the law of God. Isaiah, the prophet, said that uh, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, verse 12, poured out his soul unto death. Can you just imagine a glass of water and Jesus, this was his life, and he just took it and flipped it upside down, and so that every last drop was drained out of the glass. That is what Jesus did of himself. He dropped, he he allowed everything to drain out so that nothing was held back in reserve. This is what Isaiah prophesied. He poured out his soul unto death. We read this. I'd like for you to go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 46. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 46. That when Jesus had uh, cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having thus said, he gave up the ghost. The Son of God commended his life to the Father. He turned it over. He resigned it. Can you see that? Here you have the Son of God who is co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he forever makes the decision that he will never use his divine power to escape the cross nor the tomb in which he is about to go forever. And he just resigns it all and commends it to the Father. Amen? This is how the Son of God died on the cross. Matthew 23, verse 46. Pardon? 23, verse 47. Verse 27, I'm sorry. Oh, he says chapter 27, verse 46. Sometimes I make wrong numbers here. Then in Mark chapter 15 and verse 39, the centurion who stood next to Jesus at the cross and uh, saw him cry out and give up the ghost, 
The centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. Truly this man was the Son of God. And so Ellen White, on the basis of this, makes this comment in Amazing Grace, page 170, that Jesus is acquainted with the character of the Father, with his justice, with his mercy, and his great love, and in submission he drops into his hands. Just turns it all over to the Father. And then she says this regarding the centurion's expression, truly this man was the Son of God. She says, the Roman centurion in charge of his soldiers halted at the cross, and when Christ uttered the cry, it is finished, into thy hands I commend my spirit, overpowering conviction came upon him. Truly, he said, this man was the Son of God. Who died on the cross? The Son of God died on the cross. There's an interesting expression that Peter preached in his sermon on the day of Pentecost taken from Psalm 16, verse 10. And you can find how he used it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. I would commend you to go there, Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he clarified the Father's role with what... uh, in raising his son from the dead because Jesus had surrendered the independent use of his divine powers completely, turning them over to the Father. And Jesus died on the cross without any hope of the resurrection. Without any hope of the resurrection. He could not see through the portals of the tomb. Is that correct? He didn't see that he would be restored to his family of the Godhead. He didn't see that he was going to go back to heaven. Not at all. This is what Peter quoted from Psalm 16 in Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul, my life, where? Did Jesus go to hell for you? He went to hell for you. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, holy one, that could not be said of the Son of Man. That could only be said of the Son of God, correct? Thou wilt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. So Jesus literally went to hell, the second death for our sins. I don't think you would even want to contradict Christ's own words in Revelation 1.18 where he said, I am he that liveth and was dead. Would you dare contradict that? He affirms he died. He said goodbye to life forever. However, the Father didn't abandon the Son in hell because we read that the whole family of God was involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole family of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Son himself. How did that happen? Let's inquire. First of all, we know the Father raised him from the dead, from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. 
It says, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So the Father raised him from the dead, amen? The Father's not going to leave him there in hell forever, amen. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I might what? Take it up again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the... So Jesus resurrected himself from the dead. How? Because the Father bid him come forth when he sent the angel down to the tomb. The Father gave him permission to exercise those divine powers that he had surrendered irrevocably to him at his death. Can you see that? Did Jesus hold anything back when he died on the cross? How about one drop? Is there any doubt in your mind? Then if Jesus didn't hold back one ounce of his divinity and he crucified, he was crucified completely to himself, then you can follow in his footsteps. You can be crucified to self, and it can be dead and gone too. How, you say, how? Just exactly how? By the way, we asked that question, but by the way, the Holy Spirit was involved with the resurrection of Jesus too because in Romans chapter 5, it says there that the Spirit raised him from the dead. Uh, I don't know if I had the text that might, but I know it's in Romans chapter 5 there, around verse 8 or so. Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. There is a crucifixion of Christ to take place on this earth again in the person of his saints who are crucified with him and walk in that daily. You know how we are born again? How are we born again? A person is always born as a product of love. Now, I know that there are exceptions to that in this old cruel world, and there are many children who have suffered the after effects of being born into this world as not necessarily a product of love. But in the ideal situation, God set up marriage so that a husband and a wife who are deeply in love with each other their little babies, their little children would be the product of their pure love for one another. That's the way God intended it, correct? So, ideally, children should be born as a product of pure love. Our rebirth is the same way. You are born again of God because of his love. You are a product, a child of God because of his love. And the only way that you can really appreciate what that love is is to know that he didn't hold back one drop of it for you when he died on the cross. And that's the only thing that will soften your hard heart and give you the pure agape that he has for you. Wouldn't you agree with that? The last message that is to be given to a dying world is the message of the character of God's love and the only way to proclaim the message of God's pure love is the right preaching of the cross, the true Christ, and not the cross of the false Christ. 
When the false Christ comes, he will look exactly like the true Christ, except he won't have the nail prints in his hand. But he will say all of the nice, kindly things, and he will have all of the nice smile on his face, and uh, he will bless the people, and he will do miracles, and he will personate Christ, you see. And all of those who have been worshiping the false Christ up to that point, they're going to worship him when he comes and walks upon this earth. He will make his appearance in various places upon the earth. And it will be the overmastering deception. And finally, he will say that uh, they are to worship on the first day of the week and not on the seventh day Sabbath, as these Sabbath keepers are over here. And since we have all these trials and tribulations on this earth, the reason is they're not worshiping like Everybody else, the true God, I am the true Christ, therefore they must be gotten out of the way, and that will be the crucifixion of Christ in our future, in the person of his saints. That's the mark of the beast issue. Yes, it's a Sunday Sabbath issue, but the main issue is the crucifixion of Christ in the person of his saints all over again, correct? Now, how are you going to be preserved from the great misconception of this great impersonation game that the devil is going to play because the devil is going to appear as Christ. The only way is for you to have this discernment that the Holy Spirit can impart to you, and that is that you know the true Christ and what true religion is, and true religion is the principle of being crucified with Christ and not the principle of egocentrism in worship and in religion. Amen. Jesus loves you. He comes to you as a lover. He does not come to you as a prosecutor. It's the devil who comes to you as a prosecutor and tries to convince you there's no way that you could be born of God. Just look at your terrible life you've messed up so badly. How in the world can you claim to be a child of God? The only way that you can know that you're a child of God is by believing in the Word of God. Just as Jesus overcame the devil out in the wilderness by the Word of God. And God's people will have to hew so closely to the Word of God in the final crisis, in the final hour of temptation, that they will know who the true Christ is. He will be the crucified one, and they will know that because they are continuing to be crucified with him too. And this is the principle that will preserve the universe throughout the ceaseless ages of the eternity for sin never coming back and self-exaltation again. That's why the cross will be our study throughout the eternal ages, and Jesus will be our teacher. Amen. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.